Hello, Tours family. Welcome. Uh, would you turn in your Bibles to uh, Mark uh, chapter 16? We are in the last chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Our message today, uh, the resurrection brings restoration. Um, after a year of uh, really taking our time through the gospel of Mark, we uh, bring this series to an end today, literally a year uh, after we started this uh, last uh, September of 2019. And I'm so thankful that we've taken time to slowly work through the greatest Story, the most hope-filled story that's ever been told. And I hope that as we have journeyed through this gospel, that you have been encouraged, that you have been equipped, that you have been transformed in your mind and in your heart and in your uh, life. Um, I'm going to get right into it here, Mark 16. Um, let's start by reading the first eight verses of Mark 16. We will pick up right where we left off. Uh, last Sunday, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go anoint Jesus's body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And they entered into the tomb. And they saw a young man. We talked about this young man a couple of weeks ago uh, in our message. And a young man, it doesn't say an angel. It says, Mark says, a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Verse 6 don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, make sure you tell Peter. Tell Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, which is what Jesus told them already, that I will, after I rise from the grave, I will go ahead of you and meet you in Galilee. There you will see Jesus just as he told you. And trembling and bewildered, the women went out and they fled from the tomb and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Uh, Mark 16, verses 1 to 8. The resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees the restoration of all things, certainly in God's timing and in God's ways. But the truth that I proclaim to you today is that the resurrection brings restoration. We are all living in a troubling times, and it seems that uh, maybe we have more questions than we have answers for. And it feels sometimes, maybe most of the time, it has been feeling like more is going wrong than is going right. So we have uh, real issues as a people, as a church, as a society. We have real issues that we have to face and we have to engage with one another about racial injustice 
issues, systematic racism issues, relational brokenness in our lives, in our families, health fears, community isolation, safety issues, human trafficking issues, poverty issues, theological issues, repentance issues, and the list could go on and on. How does Jesus's resurrection bring hope and restoration to all of these issues that we face as human beings? How does Jesus's resurrection empower you and I and us, the church, to be the salt and the light of God in this broken world? Yes, we are living in troubled times. I am thinking right now of what Jesus told the disciples in John 16, right before he would go to the cross. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We are living in troubling times. And what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus offers to us is what is needed the most. And that is this. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. A new commandment, Jesus said to the disciples in John 13, a new commandment I give you, love, love one another just as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. I wanna talk with you today about the resurrection of Jesus. I wanna talk with you today about the love of Jesus. I wanna talk with you today about the call of Jesus to believe in his resurrection and to believe in his love for you and to, to embrace the call of Jesus in our lives, to love our neighbor. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the, the, the great love chapter in the New Testament that so many of us are familiar with, uh, begins, Paul begins the chapter, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I understand all mysteries and I have all faith, so even as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Three things, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, three things will last forever, faith and hope and love, and the greatest of these is love. I think that we as uh, people, as Christians, as Jesus followers, uh, we do uh, a pretty good job sometimes of overcomplicating the simple gospel. We uh, overcomplicate it by um, majoring in the minors. We overcomplicate it by focusing our attention on secondary and tertiary issues and not essential issues and not salvific issues. We overcomplicate it with our demands based on our circumstances. We talked about that um, last week in our message. We overcomplicate it by wanting more than childlike faith that Jesus says, childlike faith is what we need. We also do a good job sometimes, I think, of allowing uh, our guilt 
and our shame to have more power and more remembrance in our lives than Jesus's forgiveness and his restoration and his resurrection that brings restoration in our lives. As Peter warns us in 2 Peter chapter 1, we get nearsighted and blind and we forget that we have been forgiven of past sins. My, my paraphrase of what Peter's saying here in 2 Peter 1 is we, we tend sometimes, maybe oftentimes, we tend to get navel-gazy and we stop looking at Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. We get navel-gazy and we forget that we have been totally and radically forgiven and set free. We, we get more sin conscious sometimes, maybe oftentimes than righteousness conscience. Thinking that if we stare at the sin, if we focus on the sin, we'll be transformed. But looking and staring at our sin doesn't transform anything or anyone. Looking to Jesus is how our lives get transformed. And we see this over and over and over again in the gospel. We see it in the life of Zacchaeus. In Luke 19, we see it at the woman at the well. In John 4, we see it in the demoniac that they called Legion. In Mark chapter 5, we see it in the woman called in adultery. In John chapter 8, we see it in the life of Paul. We see it in the life of Peter. We see it in the life of the disciples. It happens over and over and over again. We must look to Jesus for our transformation. Did you know that it is God's kindness? It is not God's condemnation. It is not God's judgment. It is not God rubbing our noses in our mess that leads us to repentance, that leads us to actual change. Romans 2 says it's God's kindness. It's his goodness. It's his compassion. It's his mercy. It's his grace. It's his love that leads us to transformation. Did you know that the Holy Spirit that indwells believers convicts believers of their righteousness? He is our greatest helper and advocate. John chapter 16, Jesus makes this clear to the disciples. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer and convicts believers of their righteousness. Raise Raise your gaze, church. We are looking to Jesus today. We are looking to the living God. This, this message today is a message about the simple gospel, and it is of first, first importance. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, this is a chapter that I would say is just a chapter for you to remember and know, like, like 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. These will be familiar verses to some of you. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This is matters of first, not secondary, not tertiary. This is a matter of very primary first importance. And it is this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, 
and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then Paul says, and then that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. This is the matter of first importance. Skip down to verse 14, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and our faith is Futile. Our preaching is vain and our faith is vain. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Verse 19, and if Christ, and if in Christ we have hope only in this life, in this life only, we, the people that proclaim the name of Jesus, we are of all people the most to be pitied. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. For as by a man, Adam, came death, by a man, Jesus, has also come the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. What we are talking about today is the core and the foundation of our Christian faith. And Paul does not mince his words at all in 1 Corinthians 15. If there is no resurrection of Jesus, there is no hope. If there is no resurrection of Jesus, our faith is futile and it is in vain. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the grave and the resurrection guarantees the restoration of all things. I wanna speak specifically about what the resurrection restores for us in our lives. Three things, the resurrection brings restoration to our creation. It brings restoration to our communion with God and it brings restoration to our community with one another. The resurrection restores the creation back to Eden. Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 15 that death has been swallowed up in victory. That is a present Reality for our lives. Death has been swallowed up in victory because of the resurrection because of the resurrection. That is now. That is present now. But cre the creation has also been restored, restored not just now, but a, a prophetic promise of later as well. Revelation 21, this revelation of the new heaven and the new earth at Jesus' second coming, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The resurrection restores creation now and later. The resurrection restores our communion with God. Paul says to the church in Rome, Romans 5, 10, for if while we were enemies, if for a while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, we are restored, we are reconciled, we have communion with the living God, shall we be saved by his life, his resurrection life. 
our communion, the restoration of our communion with God is an act, a solely an act of divine grace. Grace, the grace of God in Jesus, grace covenantally binds and applies all of Christ's redemptive work to us. This is called imputed righteousness. And through our communion, through our being in union with Jesus Christ, we have regeneration, we have justification, we have sanctification, and we will have glorification. In our identity, because a communion with God has been restored, our identity changes from sinner to saint, from enemy, from enemy to adopted son and daughter. And for the saints of God, this binding union, this binding communion relationship cannot and will not be changed. Jesus said this in John chapter six, uh, nothing, nothing can snatch them out of my hand. Our communion is sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter one. And at the moment of faith and belief in Jesus, we, those who proclaim the name of Jesus, those who in faith believe and receive, we are forever the adopted sons and daughters of God through Christ. Communion with God has been restored. And the resurrection, thirdly, restores our community with one another. Let's look at all the people in the scripture, uh, Mark 15 and 16, that we have seen over the last couple of weeks who were around the death and the resurrection of Jesus, who were operating in faith in Jesus. Uh, We saw last week Joseph of Arimathea. He was Jewish. He was a religious leader actually in the Sanhedrin. And he took the body of Jesus and prepared Jesus's body for burial. He humbled himself and he followed Jesus. He faced substitutionary atonement for his sin and he trusted it. We see the Roman centurion at the cross who said, surely this man was the son of God. A Roman centurion is a Gentile pagan. Direct opposite from Joseph of Arimathea in terms of culture and upbringing and behavior, but he also humbled himself and came to Christ, proclaimed in faith, this is the son of God. We see the young man in the tomb, emphasis on the word young man. We see women, we see so many women who were there and they were present and women in that culture, they were so minimized and so oppressed. And these women, they followed Jesus and they cared for his needs. They were at the cross of Calvary and they were at the tomb when he was buried and they were at the tomb again on the third day. And the women, the women were actually the first Evangelists, they were the first proclaimers of the resurrection. They were the first preachers, if you will, that Jesus was alive. Community has been restored, young and old, men and women, religious and pagan, different ethnicities, different background, 
all invited, all finding freedom and hope and healing in the person and the work and the life of Jesus. Paul says this in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All restored because of the resurrection. All one in Christ. The gospel is for all people, all nations. The gospel family, the family of God, those sons and daughters who have been adopted into the family of God, the picture of the family of God is this beautiful unity in diversity. All ethnicities, again, all invited, radically inclusive, and we need to understand this biblically, theologically, and practically so that we cultivate this reality in our lives and in our church. One family under God, one family restored, all one in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, end of the chapter. Paul says, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The creation has been restored. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 58, therefore, when we get to therefore in the scripture, we ask the question, what's the therefore? Therefore, because the resurrection restores all things, because we have hope and life in Jesus, therefore, Paul says, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Be steadfast in your hope. Be steadfast in your faith. Be steadfast. Be immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Exhortations, because the resurrection restores all things, because the message of Jesus is true, because the person, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus is true. We are exhorted to be steadfast, be immovable and abound in the work of of the Lord, abound in the mission of the gospel, abound in proclaiming the good news to people. Mark 16, 15, go into all of the world and preach the good news to all creation, every single person that has been created in the very image of God, proclaiming the message of Jesus to anyone and everyone. Acts 13, uh, Paul Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, this man, Jesus, Paul is proclaiming the gospel, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed 
to you and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Forgiveness is proclaimed and it is proclaimed to you today. Faith and hope and love is proclaimed and it is proclaimed to you today. And it means that every, every listener is invited not merely to listen, but to believe and receive. Here is, what, here is where the resurrection calls for our response. Here is where uh, our neutrality sheds, needs to shed its skin. We are called to embrace this news and to participate in its wonder. The life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus demands a response. What, what is your response? The resurrection of Jesus changes everything, but Jesus does not force himself on anyone because that is not love. Jesus is proclaimed to you. Grace and freedom in Jesus is held out for you. Will you believe? Will you receive? Will you be saved? Will you be transformed? Will you have faith and hope and love in the message and the person of Jesus? And we, our desire as a church family is to proclaim the message and to love you and to embrace you being a part of our family, no matter what your response is, no matter what your response is, we are here in this community to be salt and light, to love people and to invite people over and over and over to this message of freedom and hope and healing. Let me pray. Lord, this is uh, stirring me up today. Uh, that I have the privilege to proclaim the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life to each person who is watching or listening. And so I pray that we would raise our gaze today and that we would look to Jesus and be saved and transformed, encouraged, equipped, transformed, and more and more conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen.